Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, a production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Rickert, your host. Hey, thanks for joining me today. St. Catherine of Siena said that if you become who you are, that you would literally set the world on fire. And St. Athanasius, an early church father and a doctor of the church, said the Son of God became man so that we might become God. You know, I make a wild guess at this, but I bet you most of us are a bit disconnected from this divine life that these saints are pointing us to. Yet St. John Paul II said there's an echo of the story of this divine life that we're created for inscribed in each human heart, in your human heart. And if you put on the proper lens, if I put on the proper lens, we can get in touch with this echo within us in such a way that we have that aha moment. See, that's the genius of John, St. John Paul II's theology of the body. It connects our lived experience of life to the gospel in such a way that our life takes on a whole new meaning and helps us answer those big questions that our whole culture is so confused about today. Who am I? What's my purpose? Why were we created male and female? How do I find happiness here on earth? How do I find love that satisfies forever? Hey, glad you're with me. I'll be right back for today's episode. Hey, glad you're with me. I hope you had a great 4th of July. Uh, you know, I was just looking at uh, China celebrating their Hundredth, uh, hundredth year of the CCP, the Chinese uh, Communist Party rule, and and a line caught my eye in there um, with Independence Day in the U.S. and and I want to do a little contrast here with this hundred years of the Chinese Communist Party. Let me talk about China for a minute. You know the Chinese uh, people, so <laughs> so they're they're celebrating it. Everything's orchestrated. You know, if you, you should look at some of these clips. You know, these poor people. I don't know if they realize how indoctrinated they are. I, I, they probably do, but who knows? And they just line up in a certain way. They're dressed certain ways. They're like you know little puppets being just pushed around, and the human dignity that's taken away from them in these communist countries is just a sickening. But but anyways, hey, you know, part of. Um, Part of the chairman, huh? President uh, G's, you know, grip on on the uh, on the party, and so the 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 line that prompted the biggest cheer of the day, and and don't forget, you know, if they're not cheering and clapping, they're in trouble over there, right? So so he said this line in there, kind of caught it, kind of caught me, right? The Chinese people will absolutely not allow any foreign force to bully, oppress, or enslave us, and anyone who attempts to do so will face will face broken heads and bloodshed, uh, bloodshed in front of the iron wall of the 1.4 billion Chinese people. Anyone, right, that wants to bully, oppress, or enslave us or attempts to do so will face broken heads and bloodshed. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about that line, of course, is that, that the oppression and the bullying and, and the bloodshed is, doesn't come from the outside in China, does it? I mean, nobody's going in to take over China, certainly not the United States. That bloodshed and, and that bullying and that oppression and that dehumanization comes from within. You know, a century of killing and deceit. You know, tens of millions of people have been murdered at the hands of the brutal Marxist-Leninist uh, re regime. Huh? So the party was founded in July of 1921, the Communist uh, Chinese Party, and it's wrecked death and destruction on the Chinese people for over a century. The Epic Times has a nice 
article on that, and and it talks about you know being armed with the armed with the Marxist ideology ideology of struggle. It's its guiding principle. The CCP has has launched scores of movements targeting a long list of enemies. It's always got to have enemies: uh, spies, landlords, intellectuals, uh, disloyal officials, anybody that says anything. Remember Tenement Square? They massacred hundreds and and, and probably thousands. We don't really know the number there of of young people, huh? College students and just decimated them. It's amazing bloodshed, huh? With each campaign, you know, the party's purported goal has been to create a communist heaven on earth, a heaven on earth. But time and time again, the results have been the same. Mass suffering, mass deaths. And, and of course, a few elite CCP officials and their families have accumulated incredible power and wealth. You know, more than 70 years of party rule right now have resulted in the killing of tens of millions of Chinese people. Uh, uh, you know, altogether... You know, a hundred years of communism and a hundred million dead. If you take the Chinese, uh, the Soviets, the North Koreans, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. it's amazing. You know, when I think of just a couple of these things, you know, they had the land reform in October of 1949. The, the Communist uh, uh, Party took control of China, so so kind of went back and forth a little bit. And I won't get into all those details, but Mao became. The, the the new regime's first um, leader. And months later, in the regime's first movement named Land Reform, so it sounds good, right? You know, to, we're going to go get land huh, for everybody and just and, and collectivize everything. And everybody's going to have a share in this. Nobody's going to own anything, of course, right? So Mao mobilized the nation's poorest peasants to violently seize the land and other assets of those deemed landlords. And many of those landlords were just a slightly more well-off peasants, you know? So millions of people died. In 1949, Mao was uh, accused of being a dictator, and he admitted to it. He said, my dear sirs, you are right. That's just what we are, he wrote, according to China File, a magazine published by the Center on U.S.-China Relations at Asia Society. According to Mao, communists in power could be uh, dictatorial against running dogs of imperialism. The landlord class and bureaucratic bourgeoisie and reactionaries and their accomplices who are associated with the uh, opposition. So, of course, the communists decided, you know, who would qualify as a running dog, a reactionary? Who would be a landlord? Well, these things are always very vague so that the communists can do anything they want, right? Many of the victims were beaten to death, some shot, but in many cases they were tortured. I I just want to read you, I mean, it's amazing torture and stuff that these people do. And these things are going on today. I, you know, go back and and listen to my, the persecution of the Falun Gong, where they're harvesting their organs, say brutality. Read Tenement Square and a massacre there, right? The oppression uh, of religious and ethnic minorities and and the sterilization of those people. But but you know when you when you had this land re- reform, many of the victims were beaten and shot. But in many cases, they were first tortured in order to make them reveal their assets, real or imaginary. According to historian Frank uh, Dickotter, who was painstakingly chronicle who painstakingly chronicles. Uh, Mao's brutality. The 2019 book, The Bloody Red Land, chronicles the story of Li Man, a surviving landlord from southwest China's, um, I'm going to butcher these Chinese names, but Chongqing, I think. After the CCP came into power, officials claimed that Li's family had stashed 1.5 metric tons of gold, but this wasn't true as the family had been bankrupted years later due to Li's father's drug addiction. 
Having no gold to give the CCP, Lee was tortured to the brink of death. Now listen to this. They took my clothes off, tied my hand and feet to a pole. Then they tied a rope around my genitals and tied a stone to my feet. Lee recounted, he said that they then hung the rope on a tree. Immediately, blood gushed out of my belly button, Lee said. Lee was ultimately saved by the CC, by a CCP official who sent him to the home of a doctor of Chinese medicine. But even after suffering severe injuries to his internal organs and his genitals, Lee still counted himself as lucky. Another 10 people who were tortured at the same time as Lee all died. Over the next few months, Lee's close relatives and extended family would be tortured to death one after another. As a result of the torture, Lee, who was 22 years old at that time, lost his manhood. During the CCP's uh, subsequent movements, Lee would be tortured several more times, then costing him his eyesight. You know, in the late, in, in the Great Leap Forward, Mao launched the Great Leap Forward in 1958. So I was alive then. I'm getting old, right? It was a four-year campaign sought to push the country to exponentially increase its steel production while collectivizing the rest of the agricultural farming. The, the goal, as Mao's slogan goes, was to suppress, suppress, uh, surpass Britain and catch up with America. So the peasants were ordered to build backyard furnaces to make steel and, and leaving their farmland in, the severe, in, in severe neglect. Well, anyways, this caused a great famine in which tens of millions of people starved from 1959 to 1961. Millions of people starved. Starving peasants, listen to this, turned to wild animals, and then grass, and then finally bark, and then finally a clay material, a kale uh, a linnet, uh, for food. Extreme hunger also drove many to cannibalism. There are recorded cases of people eating the corpses of strangers, friends, and then family members, and parents ki- killing their children for food and vice versa. Jess, uh, Jasper Becker, who wrote the Great Leap Forward account, Hungry Ghosts, said that the Chinese people were forced to to engage out of pure desperation in selling human flesh on the market. Selling human flesh on the market. And the swapping of children was taking place so that they didn't have to eat their own children. So again, you know, this is just uh, amazing. And, and, uh, And to think our young people now are being taught this in, that that communism, socialism, and the sexual revolution, you know, and racism, critical race theory, and all these things, you know, they're being programmed for this. There was a North Korea. There is a North uh, a Korean refugee that I heard on. Uh, I think it was the Jason Jones show, and it was a young girl, Yanomi Park, who escaped uh, North Korea. And she said this. So she escaped, came to the United States. It was it's a it's a brutal story, actually, of starvation in North Korea, um, and and sexual abuse and et cetera, et cetera. And she said this. What's shocking to me that it, that's that in North Korea we don't have access to the internet. We don't have Shakespeare or any of the great thinkers. We don't know much, right? While while in the U.S. you have everything, and people choose to be brainwashed, and then they deny it. The, the now 27-year-old human rights activist was born in 1993 to an upper-class parents in North Korea. But yet, even though her family was well-off, was relatively well-off compared to some other, most of the other North Koreans, they still suffered from famines that Kim's leadership brought on. 
And Park's father, a member of the Privileged Workers' Party, was still deported to a forced labor camp after he was caught smuggling food in the black market. Park says she was so brainwashed, she thought that the leader of her country was starving just like the rest of them were. And she didn't realize the truth until someone showed her a photo of the overweight Kim and told her the truth. So they, 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 uh, this family, uh, the Parks family decided to flee to China. And so uh, then she makes it here, finally to the United States, and she, she goes to uh, Columbia University. And she said this, Park was astonished that the 21st century American college students, with all the information available to them, were so willing to hate their country she had viewed as the protector of freedom. What's shocking to me is that in North Korea, we don't have access to the Internet. We don't have great books. We don't know about critical thinking. But here you have everything. Why do you choose to be brainwashed? You know, Park uh, describes the lamentable state of many college students. The kids don't understand. They're playing with fire, with the ideology of communism and socialism, and they are so bitter. They have zero appreciation for what this country did, what what the Constitution does to protect individual liberty, and they are dying to give their liberty away. Where are they going from here? In North Korea, controlling the thoughts of people come from the government. Removing the concepts of love, liberty, human rights. You know, it's the same thing as going on, she said, in the United States. It's the beginning of that. Our future, she said, is bleak here as a country. As bleak of North Korea as if we don't rise up now. We're going into a zone where there's no rule of law, morality. Nothing is good or bad anymore. It's, it's going to be complete chaos. This is a communist paradise. On her Facebook page, uh, Park calls on Americans to be grateful what they have so that they will defend it at all costs. No country is perfect, but we have here is close. It's good enough. So we got to work on it. All countries need to be reformed. All people need to be reformed. The problem with the country is that it's made up of people. The last thing uh, uh, Park says we should be ungrateful for uh, is this country and take this precious freedom of ours for granted that other people fought for with their blood. Now it's our turn to defend this beautiful country of ideas that promotes individual liberty, human dignity, and justice. That's a beautiful thing, huh? You know, when you read uh, the, the Declaration of Independence, and everybody should be doing this. Do we not know the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution? You know, these documents were, were really ingenious, but they're based on God. Let me just say that they're based on God. You know, um, if, you, if you just read that here, let me just read this. This is straightforward, right? This is the most beautiful statement I think you could think of if you're coming up with a, with a country that would be the opposite of, of using and abusing and slaving people uh, like I just was telling you about it in, in communism, right? So here it is. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed, how, how, by their creator with certain unalienable rights that, are, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. You know, John Adams, who was one of the, one of the uh, uh, writers of this, famously explained later, and also in our Constitution, our Constitution, he said, was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. See, if you're going to 
to not have a dictator. And it's amazing. You know, most countries were run in the, in the, uh, even in, the, you know, in, in the past history by a king, you know, some ruling power and everybody else just fell in line. You know, now the country is being formed, you know, by the people, for the people. This is, this has never been done like this before. So he said, look, you have to have a moral and religious people because what happens if you're governed by the people, then the people have to stand for something. You know, modern and, and postmodern philosophers have been quite intre- in, in, intrepid, um, uh, Robert Royal said in the Catholic thing, um, in seeking a credible alternative to such a plain statement as, the, as these. Huh? But they haven't found one because there isn't one. Our president said the other day that you have, your, you have rights simply by being born. Well, that's true in a way, but only in societies firmly under the sacred canopy of the Bible where we were made in the image and likeness of God and therefore get such respect. This wasn't true of the Middle Eastern empires, the surrounding ancient Israel, or the Greco, uh, Greco-Roman culture into which early Christianity was born. See, early Christianity bring, brought these things, right? These ideas about freedom, about being based on God. And, uh, and, and Joe Biden, here's Joe Biden, right, who, came, you know, who, was, who was born on third base and thought he hit a triple, huh? So, you know, here's a memo to every politician, you know, like him, who openly and notoriously support the murdering of babies in the womb. You know, and, and, uh, and this is what China did. You know, when, when they had the, uh, the one-child policy, the amount of abortions was crazy. 336 million babies were aborted from 1971 to 2013. 336 million, right? And so for a country, like even like them, a country for the United States, I think we had 62 million uh, uh, babies killed since Roe versus Wade. So we killed off basically an entire generation in the womb. But but some some of these politicians tell us what? To wear masks to save our lives. And, you know, I think about the hypocrisy, you know. Uh, save a mask, you know, to, to maybe we'll save one or two people. And, we go, and, you know, it's amazing. It's a joke. It's a it's an embarrassment to our country, and while we're promoting uh, abortion and uh, euthanasia and everything else, right? And what are our bishops doing? I don't know. I don't know. So few of them. So you know, at the end of the day, um, I want to just bring us up. Why does this matter? Huh? Why does this all matter? Well, the Declaration of Independence mentions God four times, saying He created the world. He's the foundation for morality. He's going to judge the world. And interferes with the lives of nations and peoples. He's in, he's an active God. Why does this matter? These references to God matter because they real reveal a, a key point in the founding fathers compared and contrasted to to uh, uh, communist rule to socialism, right? That because because the the individual person means nothing. Where we just read with the with the Constitution of the United States, the individual person means everything, you know. But we have to have a religious heart. We have to we have to this battleground of the art uh, of the heart of evil starts with each individual human heart, and that way that's what uh, John Adams was getting at. If you're gonna if you're gonna have a government by the people for the people, then these people have to be a moral and religious people. Otherwise, you're gonna give yourself up to tyrants, right? These references to God matter because they re- reveal a key point the Founding Fathers brought up. Uh, again, perhaps President John Adams articulated it best in his letter to the Massachusetts uh, militia in 1798. He warned against an unchecked release of passions. He said, we have, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religious. Avarice, 
ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through our net. Our Constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. The leaders who formed our government, you see, based their arguments for independence on the laws of God. They trusted him to guide America through its struggles. They looked to faith as a bulwark of freedom, not its opposite. Would that Americans today might see this with their own understanding? You know, um, I think, you know, let's just put this in context and frame this. What many people fail to realize is this battle, communism, socialism, uh, and, and what the United States is, is founded on. Again, it's not perfect country because it's made up of people. It's just like our church. Our church, you know, it, you know the traditions and, the, and, the, and Scripture and the magisterium, you know, the, the dogma and the doctrines of the church are based on Christ or are based on God, right? This beautiful church, but it's made up of people, and there's much evil in the church, and there's much evil outside the church. But but you know we're all going somewhere. We have to all aim at where we're going, and we have to stand up for the truth. If you don't stand up for the truth, these tyrants will come in and take over our country. And and here's the problem. You know, I again I've said this before. I I feel like I can just move out to some little log cabin way out in the woods somewhere, maybe up in the mountains, and the heck with everybody. But you know, I have kids, and I and they have kids, and and you know we we have to stand up. We have to stand up and and just do what's right. I'm going to be out of here quick. And even if you live another, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a blink of an eye. What are we all here for, huh? What are we all here for? What many people fail to understand is the real battle is not between left or right or black or white or between the U.S. or China. It's between our Lord and Satan. You know, these forces led by Satan have as their primary goal the destruction of humanity. You know, Karl Marx was, was a Satanist. Karl Marx was an, he said he's an atheist, you know, because he wanted to take God out of the culture, but he believed in Satan. If you believe in Satan, you believe in God, you're just not going to listen to him. He, he sold his, his, uh, his, his soul to the devil. Well, we're now experiencing one of the most violent attacks on marriage and the family, the very foundation of life ever seen in history. But you can see it in communism. This was already going on many, many years in communism, and it's become increasingly clear that that battle is intensifying. You know, when I hear the, the first letter of John uh, chapter 2, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of, eye, of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, God the Father, but is of the world. And the, and the ruler of the world, of course, is Satan. But the world passes away, and the lust of it will pass away. See, time's running out in the United States, and the country we know as it is now, is also passing away. Soon we won't be the beacon of light and hope to our brothers and sisters all over the world who look to us to help restore the dignity and the freedom that was stolen by them and, and by the, the reason that, that our, our founding fathers founded the country. And again, you know, you take God out, you're going to lose the country. That's just, the, that's just what's going to happen. You have chaos, you have bedlam, because it's run by, the, by Satan himself. Anyways, to help restore the dignity and freedom was stolen by them by ruling elites of the respective company, uh, countries. That's why people come to the United States. That's why they came here in the very beginning. Was it perfect? No. But it's, it's, it's open to us. The, the more perfect our hearts are, the more perfect the country will be. That's just the way it goes. The same political rulers of this world whose lust for power 
has plundered the wealth of entire countries in modern times and throughout history. Look what they did in Venezuela. It's amazing. This is where we're headed, and it's going to be a big change for those accustomed to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Two years before his ascendancy to the chair of Peter, before he became Pope in 1978, uh, Pope John Paul II, then Cardinal Carol Wotiwa, and he spoke these words in Philadelphia two years again before he became Pope. He said this, he said, I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel versus the anti-gospel. This confrontation lies within the plans, the plans of divine providence. It is a trial which the whole church must take up. It is a trial of not only the church, but in a sense, a test of 2,000 years of culture and Christian civilization with all its consequences for human dignity, individual rights, human rights, and the rights of nations. We must be prepared to undergo great trials in a not-too-distant future, trials that will require us to be ready to give up even our own lives and a total gift of self to Christ and for Christ. Through your prayers and mine, it's possible to alleviate this, uh, this tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it. How many times has the renewal of the church been brought about in blood? It will not be different this time. So these things are going to happen, right? This great confrontation that John Paul II warns us about is being fought precisely at a time in history when many in the church's hierarchy and the laity have grown apathetic and have lost their voice or worse, they even oppose her now. With this in mind, I offer up a two-pronged suggestion. First, as you know, listening to this podcast, we got to challenge ourselves to a spiritual awakening. You have to get in that, you know, you, you have to get in those prayers every day. You got to get on your knees before the phone. Uh, you know, you know the routine already. And second, you, you really should get up to speed on socialism, communism, on Marxism, and its attack against our freedoms, including the freedom of religion. And understand this, that the sexual revolution, the cultural Marxism, and there's reasons for that. Go back and listen to some of the talks that I've done on socialism uh, in, in the past and, uh, and also the uh, critical race theory with uh, Deacon Anthony and other things. Uh, uh, Father Orsi, we did a good talk on that too. But realize the cultural Marxism, right? So this division that we see now by race, by class, by gender, LGBT, what are they trying to do, right? Slap labels on you. Um, you know, we don't know who we are anymore. Uh, again, separate us by color, by the color of our skin. That's an awesome thing, right? Because because other things you might be able to uh, fix, but but the color of my skin is the color of my skin. So that you could say this hatred is in us, and it, we it's un, unredeemable, right? We're unredeemable. Well, it's a bunch of baloney, right? So look, at I'll I'll continue to publish some more stuff on this because this is really the battle: the destruction of the human person and marriage and the family. Sister Lucia Famila, uh, Fatima Visionary, who met with John Paul II on three occasions, wrote this, A time will come when the decisive battle between the king, kingdom of Christ and Satan will be over marriage and the family. Cardinal Kafar, who corresponded with her for John Paul II, said that time has come. And St. Peter, our first pope, warned us over 2,000 years ago, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. All of these things that you see out there, you got to put it into context. This is a context between uh, God, between our Lord, 
and and Satan. And we just happen to be on the battlefield at this time of our lives, and it's up to us to stand up, right, for what's true, good, and beautiful. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast if you didn't already. Rate it. Give us five stars. It helps us get uh, get the word out more. We get pushed around a little bit more on, uh, on, on, on the different podcast apps. And one more thing, if I can ask you a favor, we need some new recording material, and I need a, a new uh, uh, a computer to do the recordings and some other things that we need to do. We got to raise about 2,500 bucks this month. So um, a little more than we normally need uh, to, to raise outside of our, 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 our usually very lean budget. So if you could help us in any way um, in the show notes, you'll see a, a, a button there for donations. Hey, God bless you. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.